Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You might not think of Arkansas as a stellar fly fishing destination, but if you've been there, seen videos, read articles, or looked at pictures of the trout fishing that you can have in Arkansas and south central Missouri, then you know that this is truly one of the country's premier fly fishing destinations. This place holds a special spot in my heart because even though it wasn't where I caught my first fish on a fly rod, the very first trout I ever caught in my life was in a little red river just below the dam on a spinning rod with a piece of corn. So this is a special place and it began a chapter of my life of fishing and of trout fishing and eventually of fly fishing in the Ozarks that uh, is really formative and very, very special. And so today on the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about fly fishing in Arkansas and uh, the Ozark region in general, which extends up into southern Missouri. Now, Fly fishing in the south is a totally different ball game. The only native salmonids to the area are brook trout and they were probably relegated to the high mountain streams. So the fisheries that we're talking about when we talk about fishing in Arkansas and Missouri and in most parts of Tennessee are tailwaters. They're the water that comes out of the impoundments that were created primarily in the 1930s and 1940s when the Tennessee Valley Authority along with the Army Corps of Engineers came in to build dams for a multitude of reasons but primarily the generation of hydroelectricity. And so what you have is a few things happening. You have a dam that is holding back a very large quantity of water in some remarkably hilly uh, basically mountainous terrain and so you have very very deep lakes and in those deep lakes you have very very cold water that's the bottom now for the generation of hydroelectricity you have the turbines which are generally located at the bottom of the dams and so that cold water is being pushed out 
and uh, that is what creates the tailwater, the river below the lake that comes out of the dam. Along with the water being cold, there's also nutrients in it, but more importantly, the water is coming through these giant turbines, so it's highly oxygenated. All that to say, you have conditions that are perfect for trout. Cold, oxygenated water is great for trout. It's also great for the kind of things that trout eat. There's a lot more important science to it, but all said and done, you have an environment that isn't natural per se, but that is the perfect ecosystem for trout to thrive. Three main rivers in the area comprise this, this amazing fishery. Um, and they are the White River, the Little Red River, and the Norfolk River. This, that last one's confusing, and I even had to look it up, even though I've read it, and I've fished it, and I've been there. It's the North Fork River until it gets dammed up and creates the Norfolk Reservoir. Below the Norfolk Reservoir is the Norfolk Tailwater, or Norfolk River. That's one word, N-O-R-F-O-R-K. That's only four and a half miles, though, um, and it's the smallest of the three. There is the White River, which flows out of Bull Shoals Lake, and that is hundreds of miles. And then there's the Little Red River, the river I mentioned earlier, which flows out of Greer's Ferry Lake, and that's dozens of miles. These three rivers comprise a startling amount of trout water that are all great fishing. Some places you need a boat, some places you can wade. It really depends on what you want to do and where you are. Well, what kind of fish are there? Well, trout, obviously, and they're trout that have been introduced. As I mentioned earlier, it would have been small brook trout that probably wouldn't even been native to the area, um, but that's the closest thing at that latitude um, in, uh, in the American South. But we have introduced uh, brown trout, rainbow trout, cutthroat trout, and brook trout into these systems. And so there's lots of fish in there. The, the most fish that get put in are catchable sized rainbows. And actually, as you drive around the, the region, rainbow trout adorn all the signs, probably because they're a little bit um, easier to paint than brookies and a lot more colorful than browns. And so you see these bright green backed, pink striped trout all over every sign. And they're great fish. They are plentiful and they are plump and people grab them at the dock that they're staying at and they fillet them up and they eat them. More power to them for catching and eating those fish. Personally, I would rather eat a PB&J or a handful of combos than a gray-fleshed hatchery fish. But if people like it, then awesome. You can keep your cat hatchery fish all day long as long as you mostly stay away from the native fish that uh, need a little bit more protection. But the rainbows aren't really what people are getting excited about, especially most fly fishers, because these rivers are famous for their big brown trout. And when I say big, the um, world record for brown trout was, came from the Little Red River, and it was over 40 pounds, and that stood up until just this last decade. And routinely, guys and women are heading out and targeting large brown trout using heavy rods using long five six seven eight inch streamers and they're doing that all day and they're having catch rates of 24 26 28 inch plus brown trout routinely on these um on these heavy rods and large flies and so it's probably, and there's no statistical way of knowing this, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's true, probably your best bet to catch a large trout in America is going to be on the White River um, in Arkansas. But that being said, 
There's all sorts of ways you can fish. Nymphing is probably the primary method of fishing on these um, tailwaters. There's just an abundance of food, again, from the um, just the excellent ecosystem that you have in these rivers. But there's dry flies. You have your caddis and you have your mayflies, specifically sulfurs come out in uh, late spring. And, and you have um, just all sorts of hatches, including lots of terrestrials. Anywhere where there's trees, anywhere where there's bushes, you're going to have grasshoppers, you're going to have ants, you're going to have beetles. And if you've ever been down south, you know that they have no shortage of bugs. So that is absolutely a um, good way to fish for trout in uh, the summer months. You can fish midges. There's always, always fish coming up to midges. And it's not just the small fish, but it's larger fish. Um, I remember fishing one pool on the White River and watching um, little fish just work, work, work um, to sip size probably 20 to 22 midges. And they were swimming just uh, frantically, trying to gulp everyone down. And then as I was targeting these, not super small, 12, 14, 16 inch trout that were sipping midges, I see what looked like a log floating upstream, but it was an enormous rainbow trout that had was just under the surface and just had its mouth open, just going back and forth, um, sucking in as many of these midges as possible. And so it's not just the small fish that go after midges, but large fish, when the mood strikes them, they can go after them as well. And then you don't have to throw the 8-inch streamers if you want to catch fish. You can throw normal-sized streamers, the, the kind of traditional trout-sized streamers. In fact, if I were to go to this system, which, again, three enormous rivers with a number of tributaries and other smaller waters in there, very, very distinct, very different from each other, and so very, very generally... I'd have an olive woolly bugger with a bead head in like a size six, something you could still throw with a traditional trout rod. I'd have a, a scud, a little, you know, um, aquatic crustacean in olive, probably in a size 12 or 14. And then I'd have a Griffith's gnat in like an 18 or a 20. And you'd need plenty more flies, but those flies would catch fish. And pheasant tails would catch fish. Elk cats would catch fish. Foam ants would catch fish. But the three I mentioned are three that you're consistently going to find uh, trout feeding on those things. So if I were to bring one fly rod, I'd bring a 9-foot 6-weight. And I've written about this before, and I think that the 9-foot 6-weight is the ideal all-purpose trout rod. Um, it's not going to do great if you're throwing a six-inch streamer. It's not going to do great if you are on a tiny mountain trout stream. But if you have room to cast, as you do in all three rivers I mentioned, if you need to be able to switch from a small dry fly to a medium-sized streamer or a nymph rig where you're throwing a couple of different flies with a little bit of weight, a nine-foot six weight, especially if it's a quality nine foot six weight is going to have the delicacy to present a small dry even down to mid sizes but it's also going to have the backbone to be able to push out a streamer and fight the kind of fish that you're going to potentially encounter on a river like the white or the little red fishing happens all year on these rivers so it's not so much a weather issue because they have chilly winters in the um in arkansas and in missouri but as long as the rivers are open the regulations permit it fishing's open and available, but it's very dependent upon flows. It isn't so much hatches, and you know, if you want to target fish on dries, then hatches are obviously what you, you what you want to watch, and there's, there's charts that are available all over online, so you can kind of target that, but 
more than seasonal trout behavior, their spawning time and how they, they feed in, in relation to that, the more important thing is flows. And so um, that's something I'm not super well versed on regarding what time of the year, what time of the day, what time of the month they generate more water, they push more water through those turbines. But that really more than anything is going to influence the type of fishing you can do. That being said, I've caught fish in these rivers when they're high and look like chocolate milk. And I've caught fish in these rivers when they are trickles and you can see rocks all the way across them. The water's still going to be cold. The water's still going to be oxygenated as long as you're closer to the dams. And um, the fishing is still going to be a possibility. But uh, that is really more of the, the limiting factor to your fishing. It's not so much seasonality. It's flows and then obviously the regulations that uh, the state has on the fisheries. Now... Obviously, this is a place where you can go and catch lots of trout. You can catch different species of trout. You can fish in very, very different ways and catch trout. But there's so much more to going to a place like Arkansas than just fishing. And in fact, I think this is an underrated part of the country. Um, the Ozarks are beautiful in a very um, unique way. It's a very interesting area that that is very rep reminiscent of Appalachia, but um, unique. It, um, it, it stands alone both geographically and culturally from a lot of uh, the rest of the country. And so it's very neat and very uh, a fun place to visit. There's a lot of hospitality. I can't imagine um, many places that are better suited for hospitality industry than um, the communities around the, uh, these lakes. In the summertime, outside of the trout fishing and the tailwaters I've mentioned, these lakes are hubs for bass fishers, uh, gar fishers, uh, people out on tubing and water skiing and all sorts of stuff. In the summertime, these places are hopping, and it's quite the scene. And uh, you can't go wrong with food down there. Um, you can get into some fantastic barbecue, amazing fried chicken, and the fried catfish is sublime. Now, when it comes to food, and I talk a lot about food because food's important, we all eat, food isn't going to make your day fishing. But if you have had a rough day fishing, um, a really good plate of fried chicken is going to make things better. It's not going to um, smooth over hundreds of dollars on uh, airfare and hotel room and with no trout to show for it, but you'd be better to eat fried chicken than not eat fried chicken in that situation. And then if you did have a great day fishing and you go and top it off with a big pile of fried catfish and hush puppies and french fries and hot sauce and cornbread and all of those things that are basically the same color, you're going to remember that probably as much as you're going to remember the trout fishing. So go there, eat well, enjoy your time. The last thing I'd say, and I would say this pretty much wherever you go, but especially for big rivers, get a guide. This is big water. There's lots of places. There's literally hundreds of miles of river that you can fish um, in, in these systems combined. So if you're going for multiple days, even if it's just three days, get a guide. Even if it's just half a day, and that's all you can afford is a half day guided trip, four hours guided trip, go get your money's worth, not necessarily just fishing, but picking 
the guide's brain. He or she will um, readily give the kind of information you're looking for, which is patterns, techniques, flies, access points. They're not going to be so happy if you ask them where they're taking their client tomorrow and if you could basically tag along. But if you just get that information, that's going to make your trip so much better and it's going to give you the confidence and more than fly pattern, more than the right gear, more than the right leader diameter. Having confidence in your fishing is going to make a lot of um, difference. And for a river system that's huge like this, where you look across the river and, and um, it's, it's a football field wide, then uh, having confidence in, in throwing the right fly in the right place is going to help you get on more fish and get on fish more quickly. So definitely check it out. There's lots of great websites, lots of great um, resources and fly shops down there. Each one of these tailwaters has their own community. They are distinct. They are unique. There are a lot of similarities. But uh, if you hop on a website of a fly shop, if you go to the Trout Unlimited chapters that are there, um, you can definitely, there's some great books that you can use as resources. It's worth a trip. It's inexpensive. Um, your, your cost of getting there is going to be your greatest cost. Um, stay in something that's not super fancy. Eat good food um, and get into either a lot of trout, big trout, or both in the Ozarks of Arkansas and southern Missouri. Today's recommendation is for a publishing house, actually an arm of a publishing house. Wilderness Adventure Press puts out guidebooks, and I love guidebooks. Um, guidebooks are, I read them, which is a little bit on the lunatic fringe of, of fly fishing reading, but it's, it's a great way to have a little bit of escapism um, at the end of the day when you're falling asleep. But what a guidebook does that the internet doesn't is a couple of things. One, guidebooks have been meticulously written and edited. So there's all the information you can get in a guidebook you can get online. However, guidebooks take all that and they um, cater it just for a broad informational purpose where you get exactly what you need None of the fluff, none of the none of the the um, extra stuff. You just get the pertinent information. So consequently, you don't have to wade through um, website after website, and you have the information you need at hand. Additionally, a guidebook does something really really cool. If you plan on fishing River A, whether that be in a place like Arkansas or in Pennsylvania or in Colorado, you might get lots of information for that river: maps, um, hatch charts, access points techniques, different things like that, and you either have that written down, printed off, or in your head. But what happens when you show up at River A and it is blown out and you're you're out of options? Well, if you have a guidebook, then you can flip over a few pages and maybe find something that's just down the street, maybe an hour away. If it is a, a flow issue, you go over the mountain range into the next valley and you might be able to find something else and you have all those resources there with that stuff that you need. You don't want to be guessing about access points. You don't want to be um, in the dark on regulations. And so having a guidebook is really, really beneficial. And Wilderness Adventure Press is one of the companies that puts out really good guidebooks. So I would suggest looking them up. They have something for where you live or where you fish. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm -hmm.